Hi, I'm Jason Sachs. Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. This week I present a 2010 interview I conducted with the legendary Terry Moore. Terry Moore is the creator of Strangers in Paradise, Echo, and several other great comics. And I caught him at the very end of Echo and had a very kind of revealing conversation with him in which he talks about his place in the comics industry, uh, his love for his indie comics, and his kind of aspirations to uh, kind of fit into the larger world of comics. It's an older interview but I think it's really compelling and I hope you enjoy it. Please leave feedback, tweet me at Jason Sachs or uh, leave feedback on iTunes. And thanks for listening. So I thought Echo is a, is an interesting book. It's kind of traditional superhero stuff on the surface, but below that it's really about people. Um, how, how did you approach it? It must have been tempting to create something that's much more traditional superhero type of uh, series. Um, yeah, I, I wanted something that was uh, more high concept than Strangers in Paradise. You know, it's impossible to say what Strangers in Paradise is. It's impossible to explain. Mm-hmm. I, after a while, I got tired of that. Um, so I just thought... Um, It's interesting, too, because you have the same kind of flawed, similarly flawed characters to the ones in Strangers in Paradise, but these are definitely not, none of them are heroic or really villainous in in Echo either. Oh, excuse me, I lost him. Well, I think it's it's my phone. Let me give you a phone number. Call my studio at the landlord. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, I was up all night drawing, and so my I haven't charged my phone in two days. So oh, it's dead. Yeah, I can relate to that. Being a former iPhone three user and having constantly run out of battery on me. Yeah. Well, I've got a BlackBerry, but um, I usually charge it when I go to bed, and that hasn't happened lately. <laughs> Uh, so we were talking about um, how Echo is kind of a non-traditional kind of high-concept hero book with uh, very flawed heroes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I just found I just found it intriguing. Uh, I, is it? Do you feel um, maybe a lack of interest in writing about people who don't have kind of a more human side to them? Is that, I'm, I'm curious why, um, for example, Julie just seems like such a mess when we first meet her, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just kind of, I like interesting characters, people that are complex, um, Um, so I, you know, kind of finding somebody 
when they've got one wing broken and then um, something extraordinary happens to them. Uh, I find that just that basic concept there, I'm already interested without even describing what the thing is or what happened, you know. So it appeals to me, characters that, you know, you have to start peeling away layers like an onion to figure them out, you know. And I like the stories where they change, you know. Um, somebody that starts the story off weak can end up strong, and, and then another character may be strong, and uh, we, uh, we tear them down as we go, you know. Well, we're already seeing her really change. I guess we're about two-thirds or a little more than the, of the way through the story. We were starting to see her kind of being forced to change by having these circumstances thrust upon her. Yeah, you know, the classic um, hero quest thing, in a way, I guess. I try very hard not to follow Campbell patterns, but um, this is clearly a, a case of, you know, the every man being handed something of with great responsibility and being forced to rise to the challenge because, you know, going back home and crawling under the covers is just not an option. So um, forced into dealing with something bigger than you ever imagined. That's, that's, it's not the first time we've read that kind of story. No, it's interesting. You consciously tried to stay away from Campbell, but you still found yourself kind of um, having to move towards it by the dictates of your story, it sounds like. Yeah, I think it kind of comes with the genre of um, that I'm that I'm playing with here, which is give something really powerful to one human being and uh, see what the others do about it. Um, as if this one was the first person in the clan to come up with the fire stick. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, that is Campbell's turf. And so, whereas I, I was able to avoid a lot of that with SIP, but I also did a lot of wandering around in the wilderness, you know, mm-hmm. story wilderness. Uh, but here, you know, dealing with something that's high concept, uh, it would be very difficult not to break it down into a hero journey, I guess. Do you feel like this... Been, okay, hopefully what you can do is add so many new elements to it that you don't get bored with it. Because I think we've all seen, you know, the basic formulas. Um, so it, there must be more to it now to engage the reader. Well, she is definitely a unique person. Uh, not necessarily at this point a person who we even necessarily want to be with, but she does have a very. Um, there's no one quite like her. And so having this thrust oh, upon God. her is like an <laughs> internal kind of. It's an internal. It forced her to change internally, which is just a product of her external changes, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I like that description. I don't know if I quite thought of it that way, but um, she definitely, the changes are external and internal as far as, you know, the story trick, which is the alloy. So it is forcing changes at all levels of her. Which, of course, ripples out to everybody in context. Right. Even her sister, who looked like she had no hope. Um, so, interesting to explore that as a writer. So you were implying earlier that this is much more of a conscious work than SIP was, which I suppose makes sense, uh, considering where you are in your life at this point, too. Um, do you approach writing it in a different way, creating it in a different way than you did SIP? A little bit. 
um, I certainly had it all mapped out ahead of time, but I find that when it comes down to making the moments, the scenes, uh, that working in more of a cartooning mode as opposed to strictly a Mr. Wider who mm-hmm. figures it out with all words first, uh, that uh, I'm not sure I trust that when I'm going to end up drawing story as well. So I really fall back on my cartooning roots, which is to create while I draw uh, and trust that I find moments and dialogue in, while I'm creating the panel that are much more suited than I ever would have figured out if I was only looking at a, a word processor. Uh, so I do have deep cartooning roots that mm-hmm. I rely on when I get into these the mechanics of you know, drawing an eight-page scene. Even if I didn't map that, you know, outline that scene last year. Uh, so it's, I guess I'm, I'm maturing and learning how to handle uh, my chops, you know. I hope I am. It's a little what Dave Sim talked about, which was um, having the story in mind and having it plotted out, but giving yourself the freedom to create in the middle of it. Yeah, you got to. Um, you know, figuring out ahead of time is just about as valuable to the process as, uh, you know, declaring what you're going to do on a ski run. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, saying it is one thing, but once you get into the middle of it and actually start doing it, things happen and other things come into play and you have to allow for that. You know, there's something zen about cartooning um, that you need to let happen. Uh, it's kind of like acting on, uh, on live theater, you know, I mean, we've, you know, Imagine I, I hear this. I hear this feedback from actors that if they're working live stage, that um, yeah, they have a script and they know what they're supposed to be doing. But you know, sometimes these wonderful moments happen and new things, new dynamics occur. And, uh, you know that they can be magical and mm-hmm. they, they add it to the process. They add it to the work and it sticks and things like that. That's what rehearsals are for, you know. So. It's like that with any performing art. I, I think that drawing, uh, cartooning is a performing art. You know, it's a verb. Art, uh, art is a verb to me. It's not a noun. So you have to let that process happen. You know? it's, like, it's like the difference between writing music out with a piece of paper and a pen in a quiet room versus, you know, playing it. You know, it's two different dynamics, different ways of creating yeah, I see that in your art style, too. It's got a certain amount of life and energy, kind of improvisation to it compared to um, a lot of the guys who work for the big two companies, especially. Well, I think when you talk about mainstream work, uh, because everybody is it's given a, like a single task, um, you do this, you do that, well, you know, they take their single task as far as they can, so you've really got a lot of uh, components versus... If one guy is doing it, the cartoonist is doing it, you know, like compare six people making a Marvel book versus, say, Al Jaffe, mm-hmm. um, you know, making a cartoon, or Jules Pfeiffer, um, you know, so you're going to get a different type of, I don't know, I think, I think it is going to have a different energy. There's a lot to be admired about a mainstream comic and the process used to make it, I mean, uh, at, at their best, uh, you're looking at a wonderful piece of architecture, you know? Hmm. I mean, some of them are so gorgeous and so complex uh, and beautifully rendered by specialists, 
in their in their areas that you know it's like looking at Frank Frank Lloyd Wright building. I mean, it's just a beautiful design, hmm. um, but it may not have the energy of you know the Jules Pfeiffer TP that leans in, a, in an amusing way or whatever you know. So it, it's all it all it all has a place on the planet. Um, I'm just kind of I guess I hover somewhere between those two disciplines and. Um, I gotta admit, I've been reading comics since I was a kid, and I've never thought of it that way. That's a really intriguing idea. It's architecture versus um, improvisation. Yeah, yeah. I think if you start comparing it to the other art forms, you know, it's easy, it's easier to see it in its context. Um, you know, but imagine, you know, just the really great accomplishments of a Marvel or DC series or a, a book when they really hit it right, you know, and it's like a, it's like a beautiful building that was built by a, a, quite a team of talented people, you know, I mean, it's hard to find a flaw, and it's just, uh, mm-hmm. it's amazing, it's uh, more than one man might be able to manage, certainly given the time frame, so. You've, dip, you've dipped your toe a little bit into the mainstream books, you wrote Runaways, and you wrote a Spider-Man book for a while, um, but you keep coming back to the indie work. It's all about the freedom for me. I love being able to um, do whatever I want, tell any story I want without having to change it because I'm on the phone with somebody that has a different idea. Um, so I guess I like that freedom, that independence, really. But you do occasionally like to um, play in that in that sandbox? I do, uh, but I always feel like I'm on probation because, <laughs> uh, you know, it's kind of like I'm in somebody else's house picking up all their positions and being watched. And, uh, you know, when you go to work on a mainstream book, it already has a fan base. And the fan base already loves somebody that previously worked on it. Uh, they're loyal to somebody that was before you. Mm-hmm. And uh, what the hell are you doing here? So, <laughs> you know, it's it's always kind of like you're, you feel like you're the third husband, you know. Uh, <laughs> And their grown kids are watching you through the side of their eye. You know, it's just, it can be very uncomfortable. And the goal is always to win them over. Uh, and sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. So you have your own uh, pretty passionate fan base that you built up for SIP. What's What was their reaction when um, Echo first launched and have people come to appreciate it? Oh, I, I think uh, everybody was a little... Uh, about what Echo might be. Um, and then it just had to earn its own wings, you know? I mean, it's, it's a totally different thing. It's, it's like going from the Beatles to McCartney's Wings. I mean, I was so heavily associated with that first band that, you know, it's really hard for somebody to picture me with a different band and doing something different, you know? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Foo Fighters. So Echo is my Foo Fighters, you know? Yeah. And I kind of thought of those guys, thinking, you know, if they can do it, I can do it. So um, I just, you know, bravely pushed on, and I just didn't want to be branded as a one-trick pony, uh, because I, I do have a lot of characters in my head, and um, but it does take a big leap of faith to uh, quit the best job you've ever had and uh, try to start another one. I can imagine. But so far, you know, it's gone well, and fans accepted uh, Echo, and I, I, I don't think I kept all my SIP fans by any means. Um, 
uh, I think you know there were a lot of SIP fans who were only interested in Francine Kachu. Um, it's not about me; it's about Francine Kachu. So mm-hmm. um, they don't follow me around, but if Francine Kachu ever poked their head out again, uh, you know, I'm sure that they would check them out. I'm sure you've had a you had a few conversations with Jeff Smith. He was kind of going through the same thing at the same time. Um, not much. And, uh, we, you know, I mean, we're very aware of what, what's going on, but I'm not sure we talk about it that much because, okay. you know, it's kind of like talking about the boogeyman. If you, if you talk about him, he'll show up. <laughs> <laughs> but it's scary turf, you know. Just, uh, just doing the, uh, I think just much better off than I am with it because, you know, he's, um, his scholastic arrangement is just so rewarding, so fantastic for him. Mm. Bone is, you know, its legacy is secure now. Um, whereas I'm still very heavily just in the comic book world and hoping that my new series is can keep me going. So we're, we're playing with two different sets of stakes here. I mean, okay. I really need my series to work. And, uh, you know, Jeff could... It's different for him, so. Is it hard for you to let go of those characters? It is. It wasn't hard in the beginning, um, you know, because you're full of uh, plans and bravado. But um, as time goes by, I found that I have missed them, yes, Um, because I spent so much time with them. It was my job every day to wake up and spend all my conscience hours thinking about them. So... To suddenly have them not be there really has been like a breakup of some sort. So, hmm. um, if I could get in the car and cruise by the house drunk one night, I would. But <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like you got closure? Um, I did get closure on the story that was happening there, uh, but did I look a lot of stories untold? Yes. I mean, I left huge gaping holes. Mm-hmm. all over the place so uh, there's a lot that could be done with it I think that um, my mind is open to what to do about that uh, I haven't really made up my mind yet you were talking at one point about pursuing a TV series there are people pushing other people off high cliffs trying to get that to happen so you know, we'll see. It's that really is kind of out of my control. I mean, that's just up to the fate of the gods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then who even knows if it would be successful and all that? It's always the thing with the media adaptation. You just never know how it's going to turn out. I know exactly. So often have you look forward to something, and then you know, once it gets going, you immediately wish you'd never done it. So yeah. Um, we're all really aware of that, and uh, I think that's one of the reasons I, you've never seen anything before is because um, I'm very leery, and I will mix anything that doesn't, you know, just doesn't, you know, feel right. It's not like it's some idea that I came up with at lunch, and I'd be happy to sell for anything. Right. I mean, you know, it's the work of my life, so I don't want, I've turned down an awful lot of offers that were normal offers, but... They don't match my vision for the show. So you've spent it has to be good. You spent years and years on it. Um, and one of the interesting things is as you 
as the as time has evolved, some of the themes of the books have kind of started to be seen in a different light. Um, thinking specifically, you've got a lot of acclaim in the GLBT community for your treatment of sexuality, um, which has evolved dramatically since the book started appearing. I mean, we just had the um, gay marriage decision come out in California, and um, symbolically, at least, it, it um, kind of changes people's perceptions of um, homosexuality in, the, in um, our country. is changing definitely and as society changes it will change the point of my work um, and I knew that at the time when I was first started doing um, SIP it was I was standing out there by myself uh, on some things and it just feeling very much alienated and uh, you know just in a scary place trying to make I just couldn't help myself. I was forced to write a story that was uh, emotionally powerful for me. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, kept my attention and, and my empathy for the human condition and trying to survive in a so-called civilization. And it just all kind of snowballed. And, and next thing you know, I've got this huge opus to human rights, you know, with uh, so-called human rights under the under this blanket of what we call civilization that turns out not to be in the details, you know. So um, it's amazing how much America has changed since I first started SIP. Um, I would imagine that, you know, in 25 years' time or 20 years' time, it will, you know, it would be a young leader's book or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just knew that if I, if I just focused on writing a story uh, from the heart, that it would live longer than if I wrote about my times. So. And the other thing that you're obviously associated with, which is maybe seen as a movement, uh, the self-publishing world. As we were talking in San Diego, I met you, I think, in 1994 at the Spirits of Independence show in Seattle, and I was thinking the other night about how many people I met at that time who were still involved in the self-publishing community, how many people are even professional creators of any sort who I met there, and you're one of the very few who are still putting out their own book. The attrition has been horrifying. I, I feel like I'm in the Alamo, <laughs> you know? There is no movement, and there's no community, and there's no network now. Uh, there's no support. Uh, every person is an island. Every creator is an island. So it's, which is, you know, seems like if you look back at the history of art, it's either one or the other. Um, probably this is more common than the periods of community and camaraderie under some movement, you know. So I guess I should count myself lucky that I was able to experience a, uh, some sort of art movement at all, be a part of it at all, even if I was the Johnny-come-lately. You know, I'm at an age where uh, I've showed up at the end of every party in the last 50 years. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just whatever big movement you want to track, 
in America in the last 50 years. Uh, I came of age just at the very end of it. And so <laughs> either I'm just ill-timed or I'm bad luck. I don't know which one it is. <laughs> <laughs> My wife and I talk about that all the time because we're at, we're both, she was born in late 65 and I was born in early 66. And we like don't fit the boomers and we don't fit the Gen Xers. And emotionally, we don't fit either generation. We're just kind of in this kind of odd in-between um, point, which I suppose is fine, too. It's just very funny. Well, I'm 10 years older, and I'm the exact same slot. I mean, apparently, you need to be you need to be born between the zero and the three in order to catch the movement or something. <laughs> I don't know. So, it, 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 anyway, that, that syndrome in my personal life has, has also hit me in... in comics, you know, I mean, I, I was never a part of the initial uh, self-publisher group, you never see me in those photos of them all together, and um, because I was self-publisher, I was never in the magazines, because I wasn't fan of graphics, I wasn't drawing quarterly, the, you know, the Canadian movement, and I wasn't mainstream, so there was no magazine for me, and, um, you know, my art style is not anything in comics, it comes from and magazine and comic strips, so I mean, there's just nowhere for me to fit in. I'm a total misfit all <laughs> along the way. I have no idea what I'm doing here. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, you've put out over a hundred comics over the years. You're one of the few people with his own small company who's able to survive in your own unique niche, uh, and you got to feel successful in in that way. Um, I don't know if it's success or just ignorance in, in action. <laughs> Are you still hoping to make it in newspaper strips or another thing that used to be something and is now something totally exactly. different? Exactly. Now, now the syndicates know my name and, you know, they're shutting down. I mean, yeah, I could get a syndicated strip now, but who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> so, there you go. At least that, that, that's the thing I want to get a syndicated strip now is like saying I think I want to get into a disco band. <laughs> that's right. And who knows what the road ahead is, where, where everything is going. I mean... Yeah. Um, By the time something... I figure out digital comics, uh, it'll all be in the holograms. So. <laughs> paper? Who prints on paper? <laughs> digital? You're still digital? <laughs> yeah. Um... This is awesome. Uh, I, I kind of run through all my questions. Is there anything else that you want to have, uh, make sure that the readers on my website know about you and your work? Oh, I wanted to ask, um, do you have a conclusion in mind? Obviously, you do for um, Echo, standing with number 30. Um, do you have something lined up after that for us to look forward to? What kind of a flipping and flopping between several uh, candidates here? So... Um, I'm actually beginning to get the occasional cold chill, realizing that it's just around the corner. Uh, come spring, I've got to come out with something that is going to uh, carry me through 2011. So uh, not being totally sure yet what that is, uh, it's, I'm in a very anxious place with it. And um, that's probably a good thing. Uh, it, it, you know, keeps me attentive, and uh, I'm not very blasé about the future at all. I, anybody that knows me personally knows that 
um, I'm really just creating and publishing out of sheer fear that I will become obsolete on any given day. So the fact that I have now got to come up with a third series is just, you know, you know, if I had a therapist, I'd go to a, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're working on it and, uh, we'll see what, what comes up with. Anything else you want our readers to, to know about you or your work or future plans? Um, I sure am glad to be here. I sure am glad to have a career after all this time mm-hmm. and uh, still be able to wake up and draw comics every day. Um, you know, not a lot of people get to do that, and I am very grateful. So I'm very grateful to people that like comics, and especially people that like my comics. <laughs> it's not a bad way to pass the day, that's for sure. No, it isn't. <laughs> I'm actually staring out my window at... Uh, construction workers working on building a freeway bridge at my office and yeah. I, I think of them when I think of you and, yeah <laughs> yeah I, I'm always thinking about you know uh, I'm always thinking you know if I I'm just one bad comic away one bad issue away from tanking my career and then what would I do and uh, you know I don't know what I'd do whether I'd have to go work at McDonald's or go try to get in the blues band real quick or <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the thought just terrifies me, you know. So I don't know. I it makes me stay at the draw table and you know uh, try to do the best work I've ever done uh, on the next issue because you know whatever you did last week is so over <laughs> and uh, it's all about what you're putting up this week and uh, staying relevant, you know. So. I want to. I want to have a long career. I want to be able to do this until I drop. So I'm, I'm glad to have the chance. Oh, thank you.